0: Hello, sweet friends, and welcome to the Vandaltrong Curious World Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Finest Kind Tea. Finest Kind Tea, uh, mixers and modifiers, is a carefully crafted infusion of elemental tastes orchestrated to bloom the instant you add its first drop of water to your favorite cocktail. So you... You know what? I'm not going to fucking read this copy. Finest Kind Tea is a tea concentrate, and you can add water to it, and it's... You know, great, delicious tea, which could be either hot or cold. You can add it to an adult beverage like vodka or bourbon, which I prefer. And it's a bomb-ass cocktail. And it's good for you. Uh, Non-GMO and handcrafted in the lovely state of Maine. Can't ask for more than that. And uh, they're really good people, too. So check out uh, FinestKindTea.com. Twitter handles the same thing, and check out all their lovely photos on instagram they're just all over the place uh just support them and you're supporting the podcast my guest today is laurel Manning who is a writer of film and theater uh director actor musician poet swimmer cyclist uh, all kinds of he's just an all-around sweetheart. Um, you know, this conversation uh, really reminded me about, you know, the travels that we take in our lives, how we have successes, we have failures, we have anxieties. We fuck up. But, you know, that's part of the journey is growing and changing and learning. And... um It just reminded me of that. And I I think that's, uh, I think when you have insight of that in your life, you can appreciate that in other people's lives. So, yeah. Uh, I don't want to get into too much of a big uh, introduction other than I think uh, you'll enjoy it. No, I don't think you will fucking enjoy this. You're going to fucking like it. I don't know why I got so aggressive. I'm not an aggressive guy. You know that. I love you all. And I'm sending you all love. Peace and love and happiness and I'll just shut the fuck up now without further delay. My conversation with Laurel Manning. You still drive
1: your bike in this weather. no actually um, um god i'm trying to keep stuff to myself I'm, my thing was to keep stuff to myself and i i i don't want to announce it on here but i'll, I'll um just say that. next and then we'll move on oh one. no 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 i'm getting a, a friend of mine is selling me his bike because i want to uh, do a race oh yeah what kind of,
0: like what kind of race try Oh,
1: sorry to you told me that. Yeah, I'm trying to do it. I'm, <laughs> I'm laughing because
0: that's crazy. Yeah,
1: I want to do it. I need to drop the weight, whatever. That's always been a big deal with me, but I think it's more psychological than anything. And um, my doctor's now saying you need to drop the weight, whatever. So I'm like, yeah, I need to. wonder know what happened in the last few years or something.
0: You know, I uh, had a person on the on, on the show who yeah. who does uh, triathlons, and she said the hardest part is the um, is the swimming.
1: Well, I, that's my favorite part. I do that. I swim twice, two, three times a week.
0: Wow! Yeah, where?
1: I there's a pool near me called the uh, Riverbank. I think that's where she goes. Yeah. R- really? She
0: li- yeah, she lives in she lives in Harlem.
1: Yeah, this Olympic sized pool. Yeah. Yeah. What's her name? Gina. I don't know her. Maybe. What What's her age range? Thirties, forties. Uh, well, 40s. I don't I don't blow her up, but. <laughs> Black, white, Asian. She's white. White.
0: Okay. Short hair. Shark brown hair, um, but yeah, yeah, she's uh, yeah, she she's done a few. She said, it, yeah, swimming's probably the hardest.
1: I haven't done it out in the open water yet, free open. I haven't done that, so I won't do that till spring. So we'll see, but I've got that down. You know, I love it.
0: What about wait, swimming or just the whole I love trip? swimming
1: because it was really hard for me at first because I swam when I was a kid. Um, I learned how to swim when I was a kid and. Um, and then I just stopped. But learning as an adult it was super hard and I had to face all these fears and I finally overcame it and it was like this is one of the hardest things I ever did was like learning how to swim again. And I'm glad I did. And that was like 2 years now. I've been swimming. So it was the summer of 14. No. Shit. Yeah. 2 years.
0: What is it about swimming that you find so appealing? As opposed to, say, running.
1: Or... It's like very meditative, I guess, in a way. I could just, um, I just get in the water. It's just me in the water. It's just beautiful. You know, I love it. You know, same thing with, I like a lot of sports. I like a lot of like sports you do on your own. Like, um, or just at cardio stuff. I like swimming and I love running and um, biking. You can just zone out. Put some good music on. We can't put music on in swimming.
0: Actually, some swimmers do. Really? Yeah. No. Like some. I was watching some show. Like a,
1: I gotta find that. So
0: Olympic, Olympic level swimmers. They they listen. To, I think Michael Phelps listens to music. How do they play it? And how? Oh, uh, technology.
1: They probably have like a Bluetooth. I got Or that. something. I got waterproof because that would fucking increase my. G- I for some reason music just takes me to another place and i can just that's my best friend really yeah what
0: is what, what um what's your breathing like when you swim i mean is it different than say if you're like sprinting or something
1: yeah um i'm a bil- I get bilateral breathing where it's like to each side you know one two three one two three, one, two, three. I'm, it's challenging for me right now because i'm trying to increase my stamina's pretty good i can swim up to a mile but um, I've done a mile and a quarter. That's as far as I've gone in one session. But I want to get the time down. You know, I'm going to do a mile and a quarter and pull in 40 minutes, but I want to get it down to 20, wow. 25. But that's going to be a lot of work. So the,
0: the place that you swim, is it, it's lanes?
1: Yeah.
0: Is it pretty competitive?
1: No, you have to share lanes. People are pretty, pretty, pretty nice. Um, um, I swim mostly in medium lane. Slow and slow to warm up, then I go to the medium. I haven't gotten to the fast lane yet, but eventually I will. I don't think I'll get to very fast anytime soon. Um, I'll probably get to fast by summer, but yeah, we'll see. It's just me consistency in my schedule, it's just crazy. But I love it, I'm doing everything I love, it's just everything at once now, right? You know, how do you balance that?
0: How do you balance? you know i guess that's being part of being an adult right balancing everything
1: yeah i'm kind of like a little bit ocd with organization um in that um but i was late today <laughs> that drove me crazy but um i have a, I i put i make a list every morning or not every morning but the night before of uh things i have to do by category it's huge it's a pretty scary list it's like there's god spirituality work <laughs> really I, yeah, wow that's first and I, I basically, um, on there is meditation, 20 minutes, as soon as I wake up. And then I, I say a prayer and I read this passage. And then um, I write down a list of things that I'm thankful for. Um, and then I have what I call a God talk, which is like spirit, what either God or your higher power whatever. Um, just It's part of meditation, but it's more like, I'm just listening to these thoughts come to me. I'm very clear about what I should do for the day about situations. And then um, and then there's, uh, let's <laughs> <I> check my horoscope. Oh yeah, what's your horoscope today? I didn't read it today, I was so busy. And, so, <laughs> um, and then I try to write, um, uh, I try to, I haven't been very consistent with this lately because my schedule's been insane of, of um, a journal. And ideally, it's just you could do the journal at the end of the day. But I'm clearest in the morning when I wake up um, until about midday. That's my best. Really early morning, from like 4, five a.m. to like noon, I'm my sharpest. And then after that, it kind of wanes a little bit. And then my night is forget it. How did you
0: develop this this schedule? You know, it's interesting too because I I work I operate on schedules too because yeah. and. And what I always share with people is uh, I need to be disciplined so I can be lazy. Yeah. I mean not lazy, but I, I just like to do like there's so many things that I wanna do. And if yeah. I don't if I don't stick to a schedule or if I'm not disciplined, then I can't be creative. Exactly. Because I have all you no, know, if I'm like, Oh, what the fuck am I gonna do? Then I'm just like, I don't know. And then or or I just collapse sort of all the time but like, oh I've got an hour, what am I going to do in this hour? I
1: don't know. I actually like being super, super busy, um, because it keeps me organized, and I get more work done, believe it or not. When there's not a lot on my plate, forget it.
0: There's also an emotional attachment to that, in the sense of the adrenaline that you have when you're busy. You are like, think the stakes are higher? Yeah,
1: I do my best work when I'm super busy, you know? And it's like, creatively, and I'm like, I have to come up with something on the spot, or whatever, or I just do my best work, but I have to If I have all the time to, like, just... If I have a ton of time, I'm just going to procrastinate, and then nothing's going to be good enough, especially if I'm writing, it'll never get done. But give me a deadline, I'll get it done. You know? Because you're forced to make choices. Right. When I have a lot of time on my hands, I don't. I'll just, you know, contemplate, you know, just not, whether, lack of a better word, just... Um procrastination is really the that's the word, you know, Procrastinating, on getting finishing anything.
0: Oh, I'm I'm the worst procrastinate. Sometimes I'll sit and I'll like pull up my DVDs and just kind of look at them and go, Oh, oh, Joe Pesci was in Goodfellas, oh huh?
1: and I'll just start reading. Oh yeah. I don't have a lot of time. What right? the fuck am I doing? Exactly, exactly. And, and I'll sit there and i am it's like if I have a deadline or something, I got a ton of time i am say, oh, I'm gonna clear my schedule. And I'm gonna like spend six hours writing today, and then the first four hours I'm just sitting there <laughs> doing nothing, and I'm sitting at my computer like everything is more important than actually writing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, someone posted something on Facebook. <laughs> oh, I really need to know about that. Let me read oh, yeah, this article. I read, yeah, I gotta read this. Yeah, let me just read before. our article right now, and then <laughs> it's a joke. So, um, but then the last two hours is when I really get some something done. It's really weird. I don't know why. I can't get out of that pattern for some reason. I just can't. Uh,
0: what about the environment and where you're where you're working? Because I know you like to go away.
1: I like to go away, um, but I I think because I didn't really like my apartment that much. And one of the things I did last year was I I'm a Cancer, so um, home is so you can you can lean back. You're actually oh. kind of popping. All right, yeah, oh, you're good. Sorry. Um, I'm a cancer, so um, homebody, in a sense, I don't, um, some of the traits I do, too, I mean, are true with me, um, but I do like my home, and I didn't really take care of my home very well, you know, before, say, last year. It was just a place to go sleep, maybe entertain, you know, here and there, here, here and there. Well, sleep and
0: eat. That's very New York, though. Right?
1: I know, but really, really, really should take really good care of your home. And so, what I did was, it was just, it wasn't clean. I mean, it was clean, but it wasn't clean, clean. And so, what I did was, I sort of gutted the place. And I spent a ton of money um, last January, um, exactly a year ago, and I had a handyman that um worked in my building and i can't i i am an acting teacher for um that's what i do for a living and i coach i teach acting and screenwriting whatever and i coach but i'm a director but i make my money by teaching classes and um and coaching on the side so instead of me going to people i wanted to basically build a studio in my home where i could actors could come to me so that was a big big long involved process so when you got one room basically all that furniture has to go somewhere all my cds and my records and um dvds have to go somewhere so then i said oh i'll just pile in my office so then it became this huge project where i was renovating my entire apartment because room by room because you do one room you're going to want to do the next one when you say gut what do you mean meaning like i took everything out of the of of my um of my living room, everything out. Oh, but there's like no, 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 no like... structural gutting, <laughs> but a little bit of that, but not much. But he was able to do a few things. So maybe gut's not the right word, but I just basically cle- cleared out my living room. There was nothing there. Um, and I gave away a lot of stuff, threw stuff out, um, and repainted. Um, and so now, a year later, the whole place is redone and it's it's great and I did it myself with the help of this this guy Manny who was my handyman who's now gone by the Dominican Republic which I miss him terribly but but it's funny people come to your lives for a short for a reason I think at times and he came in my life and just as we were finished he, he left the country it was very strange is he know? coming back? I don't know I can't reach him I'm like uh, <laughs> I sent him a text just the other day uh, Manny where are you? Like, no 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 my shelf I want to work on my shelf you know and, but now I think of the now I think that's probably fitting that he's not returning my calls and my texts because I can do it myself now. Right. Um, I learned a lot from him, and I kind of grew up, you know, in the last year as far as taking care of my home and um, I felt I felt like an adult because for the longest time I was living like a college student and so, you know in that I was you know I'd come home and sleep and eat and then you know never really ate at my table in my kitchen. I would eat at my at my desk and that was it. I know so many people do that, but it means a lot to me now. So when I'm there, I'm really like being there. So when I did write, I was writing amongst amongst all this clutter. Um, now I write; it's very peaceful. I love it. I love going home. I really do. Before I didn't.
0: Um, when you talk to you know talk, talk about Manny and and you know and you said like people come in your life at a certain time. Yeah. Do you think uh, I mean when you look at the just your life as a as a as a portrait do you see that in not just in terms of people fixing your shelves but just in in, in your in your artistic path and your personal path that people just kind of come in and then come out
1: yeah I do yeah I think I think that's it's important for you to grow you know I I've had really everyone's had a best friend at some point in their lives I've had a zillion best friends for you in my life for a season and then they're gone. I had one really, really close friend in film school and uh, I have no idea where she is now, you know what I mean? Um, and I loved her dearly, she loved my sister. Um, and I never, th- I thought we'd grow old together, but we kind of, I think we kind of fell out or just kind of grew apart, I think that was, is the best way to put it. And I don't know where she is, I don't even know, I have no idea if she's in the country, I know what she does. Um, I think about her occasionally, and then there those people are replaced by other people, you know. And then as you grow, unless the people are growing with you, um, there's going to be some distance at some point, you know. I think, um, or the friendship has to change, you know. Like the people that are closest to me now, I didn't know. Um, well, some of them I knew, I've known for years, but some of the newer people who've now reached that. Cross that threshold of being, I consider I consider them really close friends. Um, I've just met recently, you know.
0: Do, do you think that's a, an artistic thing or a New York thing or what? what I mean, a lot of people. I think people a lot of people that, experience that.
1: I think it's an individual thing. I know some people who, um, well, I'm an artist, but I I I don't. Unfortunately, I don't have many friends that I'm very close with in the city that are not in the arts. You know, I kind of wish I did, but I don't, you know, um, it's a it's a blessing and a curse, you know, um, because I would love to be exposed to other. Actually, I do. I have a couple. Um, no, they're in the business and something on the legal end of it, but they're still in the entertainment industry. So I would kind of wish I did have uh, friends that were outside the industry, really close friends, because it would get a different perspective on life. I think um, when I go home, there are friends there who are not in the industry at all. But I only see them once a year, and occasionally we text throughout the year. But that's it, you know. Or they'll like something on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Where's you know? Where's home? Um, I grew up in South Carolina. That's right. Know? What What city? Spartanburg in the southern. I don't know where that is. A, in the Upstate, it's near Greenville. Uh, Greenville's a more progressive city, oh, yeah. okay. of the two. So you always say Spartanburg, Greenville, or Greenville, Spartanburg. Um, and it's about maybe an hour and change from Charlotte. So whenever I go home, I fly into Charlotte. Um, and then I, my parents come pick me up, one of my parents, and they, we drive home.
0: What's it like going home?
1: Uh, it's great for about a week. <laughs> and this time I, this is the first time in many years I went home for just for seven days. My mom hated that. Usually I go from 10 to 14 days. Last year I went for 15 days, and that was way too long. Because what happens when you go home if you've been away for a while, sorry. No, that's all right. I agree. What happens when you go home if you've been away for a while is that, I'm sure many people can relate to this, is that um, everyone's happy to see you. I only go home once a year. I speak to my mother like once a week. Um, I only go home once a year and everyone is happy to see you, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Oh, it's time. the hero's welcome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then after the first week... <laughs> When you're leaving The masks come (laughs) off And then you get to You know Arguments come up And old wounds get open Or whatever And you're like Okay I gotta get the hell out of here You know Um not that I don't love these people, but this is the reason I don't come home often,
0: you know? People we grew up with just can push our buttons. and oh, we yeah. We push their buttons. And exactly. That's just, oh, that's yeah. just uh, the, the, how we got kind of the emotional blueprint that, that we have of, of
1: those people, right? Yeah, yeah. I um, I love my mother. I love my aunts. They're salt-of-the-earth people. They're just beautiful human beings. Um, but i would be honest. I'm, I'm not saying I... And they have gotten me to the place where I am because if I didn't have that that base to work from or to to connect with every so often, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. Um, and so I'm very thankful for them to them for that. But can I be around them for a long period of time? No. So that's just reality. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. there's <laughs> a difference between
0: you know loving somebody and yeah. liking somebody. And I love things. my mother. My
1: mother is like the, the greatest woman on earth in my eyes. She and. You know, we talk once a week for about 20 minutes, and then I'm home, um, but that's it. We get on each other's nerves if <laughs> I'm home for more than a week. She starts <laughs> nagging, I start nagging back, and, you know, whatever. But some of the treasured times I have with her when I go home is when we sit on the couch and just watch stupid television. You know, I call it stupid because I don't watch this stuff, but, um, like, law, she, is there a Law & Order channel? a whole like a whole channel i think did. so there's something like she loves it and um so we we'll sit there and watch about four or five long order episodes and then there's like that 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 crime channel i don't know the name of it um she loves that and then occasionally some lifetime stuff lifetime movies. <laughs> so i'll give her a couple of days of that and then i have to go and then i see my friends have dinner or drinks with them and then see my relatives and that's about it, you know. And I have some. I I occasionally go see some friends in Asheville, which is a very cool and hip city up in the. Oh yeah, Asheville very progressive, really progressive. Cool. Yeah. yeah, progressive.
0: If I can talk. Asheville How has the home. environment changed? You know, when you you know each time that you come back, you you notice the little thing different here, or oh, that's not the you know that. Yeah, that's, that's been replaced by X and O
1: or whatever. There's in Spineberg There's a lot of food restaurants i mean food restaurants a lot of restaurants (laughs) um just shopping centers and um just restaurants there's always a restaurant popping up somewhere um and like new york but it's you notice it more there and and i sometimes wish honestly that I sometimes wonder how life would be different for me if I didn't have these aspirations to be this artist and be in the entertainment industry, if I just had, you know, a family and I just lived a quiet life down south, you know? Um, I sometimes am envious of my friends who have kids and are married and, you know, um, and they seem to be living the good life. And it's just quite peaceful. They don't want... They just want a good family, a strong family, strong home, and a nice home. Good job. Whatever, go on vac- vacations, raise the kids, and that's it. You know what I mean? Not that That's nothing. But that's right. But how? I don't know. Is that something really to to be envious about? It, no, it's not. Because it's on occasionally, I, when, occasionally, when you're dealing with this stuff, you know, you have to deal with in this business. You sometimes go, wow, wow. Why can't I do that? Grass <laughs> always looks greener. And then they look at me and they go, oh, whoa, New York, whoa. They always want to come here and visit. Da da da. And I'm like, yeah, it's. Easier. It's not as easy as it looks. It's not
0: as always fun. My experience of South Carolina was. Uh, I remember when I was really young, went to Myrtle Beach, and I uh, there was like a diner or something that we ate, and I went to go use the bathroom, and this this like um, you know William S. Burroughs looking guy just told me not. He said I couldn't use it. I was like, Why? Why not? Because you. Yeah, he said. He said I don't want your kind here. He actually oh said it. Like if it was like nineteen. You know, it, like that in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Then I'm one you your kind of here. But I'm so young. I'm like eight. Oh, yeah. And I, I just like... Oh, oh, my God.
1: Racism is very... Um, um, it's very... um still very present there, as always. You know, I don't think it will ever leave. Because um, um, that's why I was not very surprised with the whole Dylan Roof tragedy. You know, the guy, the kid that went up and shot at the church. I thought it was... Horrible. The the thing that horrified me the most about that was that he sat amongst them right. before he did it. He didn't just like walk in and shoot people. He sat with them and prayed and read passages from the Bible and sang and all this and, this and then decided to turn a gun on them. Um, that what sort of horrified me the most. But racism is. I almost appreciate the Southern racism more so than the Northern racism because uh, it's so just in your face. It's right there. You kind of know where you stand with people, you know? Um, and I definitely experienced it growing up, you know it was not easy growing up being your not your average i guess in their in um, mainstream or whatever they are not your average or whatever I ain't even saying that um
0: how they frame how yeah how you what your behavior should be based exactly because i grew up
1: see. i grew up um in the suburbs, and when we moved into our neighborhood. We were. It was a, I guess, an affluent kind of um, neighborhood. So we uh, were the, I think, the first or second black family to move in. This was in the seventies. And my first experience with racism.
0: Did the other family still was they still there or you know you said you were like the second or
1: I thought we were the first, but Mom says there was another family there. But it was a big neighborhood, a big, a um, uh, big. What do you call it? Housing. Development or whatever—it was just in these big, nice big houses and whatever at the time. And then suddenly, you know, but the
0: other family had left, or you didn't. I don't
1: know. There. My mom—I thought we were the first, and my mom said we weren't. We were. There was another family somewhere. I never saw them. Whatever. Um, but <laughs> we might have been the first. I don't know. We kind of argued about that because um, like she wasn't. She would know. She was the adult. Um, but we eventually, during my time there, I kind of grew up in that house uh, more families of color moved in, and it was not only black, it was like Asian, several Asian families moved in, and a couple of um, uh, Latino families moved in, or Hispanic, rather. Um, But I I first experienced racism racism there, you know, because my next door neighbor became my best friend, his name was Jamie, I'll never forget it, and lived right next door to me. And so he would always come over and play in my house or whatever and then i would go over their place but i wasn't allowed to go inside <laughs> yeah wait we, was we that were playing that, in the yard but i was just, not allowed to go inside the house just you or just, just me and there'll be other kids <laughs> and i did not I didn't know what was going on i did not know why i thought i'd done something wrong or something and i was maybe six or seven and i didn't know why and i told my mother and i said well jamie said jamie's mother said i couldn't go in the house and she goes well, you guys were playing on the dirt in the yard and stuff. Blah blah blah. And I was like, "No, that's not why." She just everybody else went inside, and they were. She was giving them treats and stuff, and I had to watch from the door. <laughs> God. And she was like, "My mother lost it," and um, I didn't quite understand. And so she sat me down that night and explained to me about racism, you know, um, and that some people were not going to like me because of the color of my skin. And I'll never forget that conversation. And um, but actually the first time I've ever been called the N word was when my dad took me to the county fair because the fair would come to the city, come to the town every year on October. And one year he took me. Usually we would all go as a group, the cousins and friends or whatever. But for some reason, I mean, it's would,
0: like a typical like hay rides and things. Yeah, like Yeah,
1: uh, well, not hay rides, but it was like Ferris wheels and like oh, okay. little go um, bumper cars and stuff. Yeah, like, that, like uh, candy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you were there was hay on the ground and stuff. You right. were walking. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that would come every year around October. Um, and my dad took me one year, I think, when because I couldn't for some reason I couldn't go with my cousins. We all went or something, and they usually went. And I took my dad, um, took me, and he got me. There was this one ride he took me to, and it was kind of boring going to the fair with just your dad. It kind of sucked. So I don't know why that happened that year, but that year he took me. What was the ride? I don't remember. It was something where... You sit down and they go back and forth like this and go in a circle in these chairs. Oh, like a like like a tea
0: like a teacup, yeah, tea like tea kind yeah, okay. of thing. Yeah, right.
1: and um, it's very adventurous of you. Yeah. yeah, and most people went on the weekends, and um, this was during the week. There was nobody there. Yeah, why, why would they? Yeah, have no my dad was whatever, before? but um, I love him, but he was you know, yeah. he was different. <laughs> <laughs> so he um, he took me and um, I remember this white guy. Basically, um, came over to me and grabbed me, and not grabbed me, but took me by the hand. Of me. He says, "Oh, well, if it isn't another little, little, little Niger," and I didn't know <laughs> oh, what God. Niger was. And I told my dad, I said, "The guy called me a Niger when we got in the car," and he was like, "What?" I said, "What is it? It's, my name's not Niger." It's wait, um, what did the
0: guy do with you? He just grabbed you by the wrist? No, and, like, no, was he, he, he was he was
1: running the he was running the ride. Oh, he oh, was oh. He, he was in, he was in, in charge of it. And that's when he called me. And I, I didn't tell my dad until we got in the car on the way home. And my dad was like, he called you what? <laughs> and I remember they were like whispering. He and my mother were whispering about something. And I would always listen to their conversations. Um, we had a long hallway. So they would always sending me to my room and stuff. They wanted to talk about stuff. And so I would always sneak down the hallway just listen. I didn't quite understand what the hell they were talking about. I would always try to listen, you know. Um, and he was telling her about it. And I don't remember what was decided. Nothing was decided. She was just like, oh... I don't know what was sad. I just remember he mentioned it to my mother. And then a short time after that was the whole thing with the uh, with the Jamie kid. And then she sat me down and explained to me what racism was. And I didn't really experience it overtly so much after that. I remember walking down the street one time in my... <laughs> all these memories are coming back now. My um, Down the neighborhood going to a friend's house. And this kid, I knew who he was. He was a jerk. And... Um, he sends he's, he's out the window and goes, nigger, nigger. And, um, Wait, uh, where is he? Where is he? He's in the window, in the upstairs of his window of oh, his, his house. Of his, <laughs> his house. But he's, he's, he's like doing it behind the blinds or something. And I call this amazing, Travis, I know that's you, ass. And.
0: <laughs> was he like, so he was like, he was like, like imagine an, like, you like have a. a peeping Tom? Yeah, or?
1: he was saying it behind the blinds. So you couldn't see his face. They were known to be really racist, anyway. So, um, but that uh, some people would say those those are traumatic um, things to experience. But I didn't really know what was going on, you know. Um, I just knew that a lot of most of the time I was the only black kid in my classes um, um, at the school. Other uh, black kids started to come in, but I was always in these like um, they were never around me rarely. So I um, the only black kids I knew other um, that I hung out with were my cousins who lived across town, so I would see them. And eventually a family moved in next door and that kid became my best friend, um, Benji, that was his name. And um, yeah, he was younger than me, but we were really, really close friends. And then, you know, some other kids moved in and I hung out with this motley crew of kids, it was black, white, and white, and a couple of Asian kids. And so um, I still, I wanna actually wanna write about this, the. the experiences we all, it, the experiences of growing up at that time and with all those kids and the stuff we did that our parents don't know about, horrible stuff, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I was pretty much a good kid, but I hung out with a bad crowd in a sense. The, these kids were just, they were a bad element that moved in, both black and white and black, you know what I mean? And, um, and they were just wild, you know, and I had a lot of fun with them
0: so were you uh, exposed to uh, religion at this time
1: yeah um, well not so much we went to we went to um, we went to church every Sunday in Chesney which was where about 15 miles away which is where my mother grew up and um, I hated it I hated Chesney I hated it because it was very country Um, it was just very rural not rural but it was just like there was nothing there like a lot of farmland. Yeah, tons of it. My grandfather grew watermelons and stuff, and, and various other vegetables, and would sell them. And um, but I love my grandparents, of course. My grandfather was amazing. My grandmother's still alive, and she's awesome too. Um, but yeah, we went to church every every week, um, every Sunday. I didn't like it that much. And then I really got exposed to religion in my teenage years, and that i never forget it, My, um, I went to school one day, I was in high school in 9th grade, and this girl named Melanie sat me down and she was sitting beside me in English class, and so she looked at me and she said, do you know, um, if you die today, would you go to heaven? And I went, yeah. And she goes, how do you know? And I went, well, because I'm a good person, everybody goes to heaven. She says, everybody goes to heaven. Some people go to hell. I said, well, the evil people go to hell. And she said, well, how do you know you're not evil? I said, because I'm not evil. I don't kill people and stuff. I remember this conversation, like, yesterday.
0: Wait, wait when was this? This was in ninth grade. Okay. And so, she but said... But you, you hadn't
1: been going to church yet, right? No, I had been going oh. to church. But it kind of slowed down every so often. My mother would sometimes have to work on Sundays, and so we wouldn't go. And did you know this girl? This girl? Yeah, she was a friend of mine. Okay. And this was in my first So this year. wasn't out of left field? She... No, I knew her. I okay. knew her. She was a friend of mine. Um... Um, and she, we had this weird conversation about religion and she said, why don't you come to my church with me tonight uh. and I went what? and I went, okay so I went, I think it was like not that night but the next week I, went, I made plans and my mother said I could go so we went, it was like the It was and it basically we went in and it was all these other kids around our age, a little older, a little younger it was a Monday night and yeah. uh, this rock band started playing like, rock, hard rock. And then and then I hear them <laughs> talking about Jesus. And da-da-da. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And a, the kids were, like, totally rocking was a out. Was it Creed? Huh? Was it Creed? No, it wasn't Creed. But they were, like... Like... And then, yeah, I don't know. It was, like... It was just heavy rock music. Were you impressed? And or were you like, fuck this? I just couldn't believe that there was rock music playing, being played in the church. I just didn't know what was going on. And the kids were, like, rocking out big time. But then all the lyrics were, like, Jesus and God. And I was like... I just stood there going, totally bewildered, going, what is going on? And so finally, I let the service and everything, the service was kind of cool or whatever. It was all these kids. Wait, this was
0: in a church? Or? This was in a
1: church. Uh-huh. In an evangelical church. Or Pentecostal, which one? I don't remember. But, um, were they the same? You know? But, um, I wanted uh, to... you
0: No, know, I was curious if this was, like, in a high school gymnasium or something. No, you, but this was, a like, a like, a church church.
1: Yeah, it was a huge church. Um... It was called the Evangelical Cathedral, so I guess you're calling evangelical. <laughs> and so I, um, she, I went, and there was this guy, the the youth minister. He was an Australian guy had an accent, of course. And he comes over to me afterwards, and he sits me down. And he goes, and he says, "I want to talk to you." And I was like, "What?" And he goes have you been saved mm. and I'm like yes he says have you really you've taken Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior and I'm like yeah I pray I pray and he goes I don't think you have because in order to say have you said this prayer the sinner's prayer or whatever blah 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 and I'm like no I haven't well I think you need to do that before you leave here today you want to go to heaven, don't you? So, it's, and so go to this back room with this guy. What? Just, yeah. He took you to the bathroom. No, back room. Oh. Back room. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so I go, I go to the back room with this guy, and like he, me, and two other people, some other people are there, and they're putting hands on me, and he's he's turning red, and he's like praying save this say-da-da-da. it was so terrifying. Jeez. Is it this sounds like the church with all the snakes and shit? I know, but it was terrifying. And I because I felt that I had to go they're gonna kill me if I didn't go. So I went. You know, uh, I didn't want a bolt of lightning to hit me, but I went <laughs> that it wasn't saved, so I went and um so I went and I went in the back back room and was saved by Grant Wendell. That was his name, something like that. Grant I know his name was Grant, something. He was from Australia. And he um, he says, "How do you feel and I did feel a surge of something, but I don't know if it's just fear <laughs> uh, and I felt something and I was like i did I didn't feel like myself. I felt something had happened I don't know what maybe it was just trauma I don't know maybe something did happen uh something my life did change in some sense, and so basically i um I went home, and I kept it to myself, and I didn't tell my mother anything. And, um, Fuck yeah, she probably kicked the shit out of yeah, you. Yeah, man. yeah, totally. <laughs> so I didn't tell my mother anything, and then the next day, Melanie's like, how do you feel? I said, I feel good. Great. Yeah. I didn't know what to say. And so occasionally, she would come pick me up for church every Sunday. and uh, Oh, so you were... I,
0: you were, would, you I started were, going to church. Before. You were dating it, right? So yeah. you and your... I
1: kind of felt like... This is why if I have kids, or when I have them, um, I kind of want them to choose which which way they want to go. I want them to believe in something, um, but I, I, th- I was doing it because I was afraid. You know what I mean? I was going to church with her because I was afraid that I was going to die. God was going to kill me in my sleep, and that's not really the way to worship or like... <laughs> that's just not I'm sorry and um, and I think that's what so many that's how we grow up many of us the term God fearing God fearing yeah and but I was like Made to feel like I was gonna just be struck dead if I didn't go to church with her, so I felt I was scared. I went because I, I didn't necessarily enjoy it. I just felt like, okay, is God pleased with me? Am I going? I'm going to church now, and is He is He happy? Um, so I would go every week. So I don't know how long this went on. It got it went on until my it didn't agree with my schedule. I think I had to work. I think I got a job the next year. My first job, this Japanese restaurant. (laughs) What?
0: I've had a yeah,
1: interesting life. But um, Japanese restaurant. Japanese restaurant. Yeah, in South Carolina, it was called Kenpai of Tokyo. (laughs) They're still there. I went there for Christmas break to eat with my cousin, whom I also got a job there when I was a teenager. Um, And Where, where were the owners from? They're from Japan. Wow. They're all Japanese. They imported the chefs from Japan. Well, I've learned Japanese a little bit. A little bit of Japanese. I told you this. No, I don't remember. When this. you first started dating um, your wife? No, your girlfriend. Or whatever. <laughs> no announcements on this podcast. No announcements. Yet, but... so sorry. When you start dating Kaz, I said oh, my this. first my first uh, job was in a Japanese restaurant. No, I told her. I think. Okay. She wait. may not remember, but. Um, um, anyway, so what happened to Melanie?
0: Did she get sucked into the No,
1: she continued Australian going cult. No, no, she continued going there and I actually went back to that church over at Christmas break cuz my aunts and my aunt Joanne goes there now. and that now a bigger church. And um so anyway, I eventually stopped going because I work became and I was involved with the drama at school and the school band and Wait a minute. At what how did you make the
0: decision of because were you really? You must have been really digging it, right? Going to church on Sunday
1: and no, I didn't and, and really like, enjoy like, Okay, it if time. I do I, this, I won't. I, get don't, high I high. went out of fear, honestly. Okay. I didn't really enjoy it. I didn't consciously start going to church until much later in my life, where
0: I wanted to go. So you saw this opportunity for economic gain. You were like, "Fuck this! I'm doing it. I'm getting some cash." <laughs> well, it wasn't like that. It was just like,
1: "Oh, I can't go to church today because I'm gonna. I gotta work. You know, I gotta do lunch or whatever." On Sunday. Uh, Sunday lunch. I gotta work Sunday lunch or whatever. What
0: was so. your concept of, of heaven and hell then?
1: That that's where you went if you were good and you went to hell and you burned for eternity when you were when you um when you died. That's what it was. That's what I was taught from a very early age. I mean was it as and a lot of my friends and family still believe that.
0: Was it as literal as, Oh, we look up in the clouds and, you know, they're hanging out up there and
1: Yeah, or it's just paradise. It's just no not a worry and like no, Lawrence Olivier with the beard and robes.
0: Yeah,
1: But then I became more conscious. I'm like, well, God's not white. God's a, God's a black woman or whatever. So what In <laughs> human form, it right? actually. human form or whatever. But um, so I stopped going. But then one day, my mother started to change her life several years later, and she um, she went to uh, she started going to that church. My aunt Joanne Start my aunt. Jo, my aunt started going, and then eventually my mother went, and they would have these... How they find it? I don't know how my aunt found it. It was. It was. I thought it was interesting. I never really told my aunt that I went there before. I think I mentioned it casually. I said, I've been to that church. Friends of mine go there because it was. This was maybe two or three years later, um, and she started going to this church, and then my mother. Because my aunt, you know, they all party, they all did kind of, they went wild or anything, but they started to change their lives as they started to get older. And um, my aunt went, and then my mother, my other aunt went, and then my mother started to go. And they would go to these things called Bible studies, um, or home group, they would call it. And so you would be assigned to a particular home group in somebody, in someone's home where you study the Bible a few times a week. And have conversation and chat about the spirit and all that kind of stuff. So my mother started going to this. I think she really needed. a need She needed that in her life, um, or it was a calling of some sort. So she started going with my aunts. And there was this woman there who that they kind of like um, who led their particular home group. And my mother came back home. Came home one day. I remember I was asleep asleep on the couch. She she woke me up and she says, Hey guess what? I said, what? She says, I'm saved. And and she had these tears in her eyes and she was like, I've never seen her so happy. And I didn't quite know what to say because she was so happy and I was happy for her, but it wasn't the same experience that I had. You know, a few years before. <laughs> she didn't think that she was going to die? No, like, get no, no, no. By I, an don't know, she, I don't know how she came into it, but she was late <laughs> and she was like very happy. It happened that night, I guess. She took the Lord Jesus Christ as her personal savior and he was going to be the guide of her life and whatever. And she, she, was, she was very happy about it, so she continued to go to several times a week to this woman's house and then go to church there on the weekends or whatever but i started to get fearful because this woman i won't give her name but she started to like become like a christ-like figure to them um or everything my my mother and a group of women that went started to quote this woman constantly well so-and-so says this and -and so-and-so says this we shouldn't do this and blah 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 i'm like well who i'm thinking who are they worshiping they worshiping god or this woman but would would the things
0: that she would say would they be in line with Christianity or the Bible, or yeah, was it, or was it, it was like was being filtered through? Or was her, it like, though? oh, don't fuck with green tea? Like,
1: oh, well, if we go further. I'll tell you how how <laughs> fucked up it got. It sounds uh, like like David Koresh. Well, it um, what happened was, and then my mother and her girlfriends and my aunts, whatever, they would come over after these sessions at this woman's house, and they would stay up all night speaking in tongues. And they pray, and they would just stay up, stay up talking, and whatever. They were having the time of their lives, but for me, I felt like I was losing my mother. I didn't know who she was anymore. That's how I felt. I never told her that, but that's how I felt. But I was happy for her. So at this time, I'm making this money because I am, you know, making a lot of money, you know, working, working with yeah. the yeah. So Japanese I would put people. half of the money in the bank for a car, and the half, the other half, I would spend. And what I was not buying at the time was CDs and records, and you know sats and like movies and books okay. just like, a
0: timeline for me like what, what kind of music were you listening to right now I
1: was trying to get into um well I was always seeking um the alternative to everything around me. The kids in the south are listening to like heavy metal and Heart, Guns and Roses, and and you were into
0: the Cure, and,
1: yeah, and Nick Cave and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Never forget the day I went to went to a record store and bought a Nick Cave album. The guy looked at me like I was crazy. He was like, "You sure you want this?" Well, but you I probably went, yeah, <laughs> you
0: probably had to go to like a Sam Goody at the time. No,
1: there was a the place called Manifest Destiny, which was like in Greenville, which I had to drive there. I didn't have a car at the time, so my friend Mary would drive me, and um, and when I would go pick up records by The Smiths and like The Cure and, and um, um, Nick Cave. I love Nick Cave. Even as a teenager. I finally got to see him a couple of years ago. And I cried because I'd never seen him before. I literally cried, um, and, but I had all his records. As a teenager. And, okay,
0: so anyway, I, I yeah, didn't mean to sorry, to te- distract you. So, yeah. your list, you're rocking out. So, to- I'm, I'm
1: buying, I'm ordering stuff, and having the record record shops order stuff for me that they can have and stop. They're going, what is this? Is this bad in London or France? So I'm gonna get this. Can you order this for me? Spending all this money. My record collection was like, record and CD collection was huge. Books and all kinds of things. And so, as my sister at this time, started to um act out in school and um what do you mean like act out getting like, fights with other kids even like quoting hamlet no 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 <laughs> she started to get in fights with other kids and she was just troubled a little a little troubled. and i think maybe it has something to do with not having a father in the house or something because my parents were divorced at this time you're she's your older or younger she's my younger sister, sister. six years younger you're not old. looking out for her you're too busy Rocking out we, weren't, we weren't very close. We're closer now, but growing up, we were not close at all. I was, I was, I was a latchkey kid, so I was, I would take care of her in the night. So my mother had to work late, so I would cook dinner. I would do all that kind of stuff. So naturally, I became this kind of person. Knew, learn how to take care of people all the time. So, um, so she started to act out and like pretend she was sick, and then my mother would bring her home, and sometimes my mother would like. Um, have the next door neighbor look on in on her or whatever or whatever or she'd take her to my next door neighbor's house or whenever my next door neighbor would discover her like up dancing the Janet Jackson videos and stuff. She wasn't sick, she was pretending. And so she became obsessed with Janet Jackson. So your mom didn't try to
0: incorporate her into her
1: her She religion? did, but she was too young. She was too young to really, you know, um, so she became obsessed with Janet Jackson to this point when she was new all the dances of all the videos and whatever, and my mother thought it was unhealthy because she wasn 't doing any of her school work. All she wanted to do was watch Janet Jackson videos <laughs> and listen to the music this, and, yeah and um so this woman that my mother um, would go visit in these home groups every week told her that my sister might have been possessed or had something you know something was going on with my sister that. The spirit, the evil spirits, are taken over her body, something, so we needed to like my sister needed to be cleansed in some sense. I don't know if you use the exact terminology that they use. So, but something needed to happen. Something needed to happen. Yeah. They needed to cleanse, and so we also need to cleanse the house of everything. So what does that mean? You, like we had it? to get rid of all the evil spirits and where the evil lurked in our house or whatever and we had to just clean it out just gut it with all the other so she had to do I forgot what she called a cleansing or something it's not an exorcism but it was like a cleansing I forgot what they call it um, spiritual decluttering or something I did you know.
0: have to get rid of any of your stuff
1: well we're getting there yeah. so I knew that um, I was at, she was going to come over and do it this one day while I was at school and I had to get, started to get sick in my stomach because I had over, like, hundreds of record albums and CDs and books and whatever. And I'm like, I remember I was afraid to go home. My, my school was close enough that I could walk home from school. I oftentimes got a ride from my friends. Um, a lot of times I would walk um, sometimes. And so before I went home that day, I remember call, I decided I wanted to call. They took my sister out of school. My mother took the day, my mother took the day off from work, and all these other people came over to pray and cleanse my sister and the, and the house and whatever. <laughs> so I, I I then go. Um, I call home. My mother picks up the phone and I said, "Hey, um, is there, how's everything going?" And She said, "Everything's fine." She sounded very peaceful, almost like sedated. And I said. She's, I said, "Is my sister okay?" And she said, "Yeah, everything's fine. And um, she's good. She's resting. She's sleeping now." And I said, "Did you guys take stuff out of the house?" And she said, "Yeah." I said, "What stuff? She says, "All the stuff that needed to be, be to be um, thrown out." So um, I said, "Did you go into my room?" And she said, "Yeah." Of course. What's said, where we Did started? Did you take any of my stuff? She said, <laughs> "Yes." Only the bad stuff. I said, Is there anything left? He says, There's a few things left. (laughs) So I go home. My entire music collection is gone. My entire book collection is gone. My entire um, um, deep movie collection, VHS, is gone because they didn't have DVD. um, They didn't. No, um, no, they didn't. But um, all that stuff is gone. I don't recognize the room anymore and it looks like a room in a hostel yeah my posters are gone off the wall it was no, nothing was there and the only thing that was at the um that was left was a 45 no no it was a cassette uh, <laughs> an old cassette uh from the eurythmics sweet dreams are made of this
0: <laughs> how, how did that get past them i don't
1: know it was under my bed oh or like a single or I don't know, whatever it was it was like um, and I was devastated because that was as a teenager that was my young teenager that was my identity yeah I was gonna say you, you identified with the things that you admire. yeah that's the, those records that music and those got me through my those tough years I mean I would just go home and put my headphones on and put my CD in and like just zone out it was like another world for me and they took it away from me and I was devastated for months. I didn't forgive my mom for years for that because it, there was a it rift between us because my mother and I were really close. We're close now, uh, again, but um, at that point we were really close. I mean, I told her everything and almost everything. And um, she shared stuff with me too. We had these amazing conversations, but I started to lose her. And I, there was a major rift that came between us um, after that. And I didn't trust her for years. Um, not completely. Uh, I know she would never do anything to hurt me. I never, I would always put, you know, um, never do anything to hurt her deliberately. And um, but I, that uh, that devastated me. And I went away to my, um, I ran away to Virginia to my dad's place, uh, where he was staying with his second wife. And I told my, my told my stepmother at the time what happened. I didn't tell my dad because my I didn't know what my dad would have done. He might have tried to get custody or something, and I didn't want to go that far. Um so I um I stayed up there for like a week or something and then I eventually came back. And my mother tried to make amends with me by giving me uh <laughs> giving me a present and it was like a a couple of Christian rock CDs. <laughs> and I was like, uh, thank you. Uh alright, and that was it. And but, yeah, we were. things were never the same for several years after that. what did they do with your... Did they destroy your stuff? They destroyed them. I don't know what they did. They took them to a garbage dump and dumped oh. them. Yeah. So, um... I'll never forget that, you know. And I do wonder if I, if that hadn't happened, what life would be like for me now. You know, you, you always wonder, like, if I go down this path, that this hadn't happened in my life. Well, well what did it do for you? Looking it back. It made me not trust people, you know. It made me... Uh, and then a few years later, I went to college, and then I started building up my music collection again. And your you know, mom showed up and took them all. No, no. <laughs> I worked at a radio station there, and like a lot of, a lot of times you when know, you worked in the radio, or you were in a certain, uh, I was in the music staff, and so we were able to get free CDs and things like that. that you know, the companies would send, so we would, they would send multiple CDs and stuff like that when they were promoting something, so we would get to take them home. So slowly but surely, I built up my collection that way. and. Um, I started buying stuff and then when I got to when I went to film school um, I just just went to town just buying CDs I had like 3,000 now I think or something I have been throwing them out um, because what I still you love them well they're in these little booklets and stuff and they're mm-hmm. away and they're uh, kept away in my apartment you know I still love them and I have some vinyl still some vinyl's coming back strangely enough yeah, so. vinyl
0: is saving the keeping the, the industry afloat right now yeah
1: and I don't actually want to buy a um I had like a stereo, I had like a, you know, a turntable and all that stuff. And I got rid of all of it. I wish I hadn't, cuz now would be the time to have it, you know.
0: Isn't that funny about like we try to keep the balance of of materialism versus minimalism and then, you yeah. know, we feel great when we can just kind of, you know, have a clean slate and get rid of everything. But then there's yeah. that one thing that we want, like a record player, and you're like, God damn it. I wish
1: I hadn't given up my <laughs> turntable and speakers. I wish I hadn't. And that was just like, within the last five years I did that. I just threw it out. And I was like, no, I want it more than anything. And now you go to like Urban Outfitters or something like that and they have these little like phonograph machines and you're like, what? Yeah.
0: <laughs> do you think... Uh, but who do you think is buying records? Do you think it's just people who are really into music? Do you
1: think it's younger people? I think the... Um, from my experience, what I've seen is that audiophiles, like vinyl still, um, I have a friend who's um, really into that. He's a really, really expensive turntable, like high-end, like brands we've never heard of. You know, that they're really, you know, they're so out of my price range. Um, and they have these magazines, He he's into that. And I think it's a hip thing, like a lot of hipsters do it now too. Because a lot of the, I teach uh, adults and kids, and a lot of the kids that I teach, teenagers, they like they talk about vinyl, and I'm like, oh my god! They're like, yeah, I have that on vinyl. Yeah, but like, did, are they what? listening to current music on vinyl or? Well, the kids I teach are kind of hip. They're they hit me to stuff. I hate to say that, but they do. Like they like, they like your Rihanna's and your Beyonces and you know whatever. And but most of them are a lot of them are into like stuff that we grew up with. Like, you know, they love Nirvana and like all that stuff. And they, they love the Smiths. They love. Even going further back, they love the Stones and Zeppelin. That stuff never gets old. Every generation is going to love Led Zeppelin, the Stones, and the Beatles. I think, you know, um, they're going to appreciate it at least. That that's that stuff never gets old because it's so quality, you know. And how does that inform,
0: like, what I guess I'm curious to know why, like, as a young person. You know, yeah. a, a teenager, early, early to mid twenties. Yeah, what would be the compulsion to investigate something to go back? Because most young people, because I, I, you know, I work with a lot of young people too. They just want right now, and because yeah, of, because, those, because of yeah. technology,
1: right now things are so uh, expansive. I think, I think the I think the I I, I think I work with most of you, the artistic ones. You know, people who want the kids who want to be actors and stuff. And usually, most artists want to seek other you know what I mean they don't want to, they don't want they, they're not happy with this, with the norm so they want to go outside of that and like see what else what other kind of music can I find and that's what I was like you know I was trying to find I wasn't into a top 40 growing up I wanted to find I did like top 40 songs like top 40 in the 80s and early 90s it was great oh yeah it was great um now it's just... I don't know if I'm an older person going, oh, what they listening to. But literally, it's bad. I'm a musician too, but it's bad.
2: Yeah.
1: I can appreciate i can appreciate some of it. And I go, well, that's pretty cool. I like where this... I like the... I like, I love where the R&B trap music is going. I kind of like that. It took me a while to get into it, but I like it. There's been some good stuff coming out in that <laughs> genre. But anyway... Um, um, I think... Um, they want like I said they want to seek they just want to they just want to acquire as much as they can and a lot of times they're being turned on by their parents to this music they're around our age or older you know and they're like oh this is this is what I, and they go this is really good you know um, I think one kid is um I forgot his name but last summer his dad took him to some show some group that was like touring from them like some grunge band or something he loved it Yeah, I can't remember who it was. They were Twin Biscuit. No, no, no. It was (laughs) Soundgarden. Oh, they're back together. Yeah, they've been back together. They put out a record like a couple years ago. It wasn't very good, but um, it was good. But it wasn't. I don't know. It's not like they hadn't grown much. It was (laughs) like. (laughs) What is they're doing?
0: Black Hole Sun
1: like five times and. But not even the songs were that good. It sounded like Soundgarden from the '90s, but it was like uh, I listened to it once, but nothing stood out to me. You know, so they have a new record, yeah. it was just called touring? King Something. It came out, yeah. I bought it, I listened to it, and I think they're working on a new one, you know. Um, yeah, and they toured, they did, yeah.
0: Wow. Um, what's the age group, age
1: range that you teach? Oh, um, it's um 13 to like 17. Wow. 13 to like 17, some 18 year olds take the class but yeah, for the for the teen class and the adults go from I've encouraged some of my kids to take the adult class there's one kid um, how, how I really believe in, he's really talented he rocked the teen class I'm saying I want to challenge you, take the adult class so I allowed him in the adult class and he's rocking it he's like the best actor, one of the best actors in there um, he's only 16 you know? he's what, a big star
0: what yeah. compels somebody that young between, you said 13 and 17? What yeah. compels somebody to do to have that kind of gumption to to be that ambitious and have their shit together? Or I guess maybe that's a, that's a presumption presumptuous on my end. But I think if you kind of enroll
1: in a workshop or a class like, like yours... They're curious about acting and stuff like that. And I actually like... I love my adult classes, but my teen classes are really... Um, they're a lot of fun. I really look forward to them. And I get them out of their shells the first day. A lot of them might be like... They may sit. I have them all sit in a circle, and we sit and introduce ourselves. And I said, "Give me something. Tell us something about yourself." Uh, and a lot of times they're like really, they're like looking down at the floor and stuff like that. And then I guess it's my approach to them. I treat them like adults in a way. I don't try to talk down to them. All right, what are you guys listening to? Or you know, what's your movie? you like, what did you see this movie? What did you think of it? Or, did it suck? Whatever, whatever. You know, and they, they, when you treat them that way, they start to respond. And I. Um, I'm sat in on other classes and when they don't treat them, they, they I'm the adult and you listen to me and they don't respond to that. You know, right. um, I'm not trying to be their friend, um, but I'm trying to be, trying to, um, I don't know, I'm just trying to empower them by speaking their language in a way, you know what I mean? Um, and, and not talking down to them. We're having a conversation. On the instructor, yeah, there's certain rules you have to follow. but. You are a human being, and you are uh, you are intelligent, and I'm going to treat you like that. You know what I mean? Um, so, and you have a viewpoint, and I want to hear your point of view. You know, so share it. You know, um, and I encourage them to do that to speak up, ask questions, and they do, and I love it. Um, so, I've been very successful in that. Nine times out of ten, most of them become. Bad. Or they become better just more comfortable with themselves, at least within the three hours that I have them every week. You know, I don't know what they're like outside. But I've gotten letters from parents and um, letters from parents and things they're saying, you know, I don't know what you do in that class, but Joey or Stephanie or whatever, it's just like loves it. She's so depressed when the class ended, you know, she looked forward to it every week. And what um, and w- yeah. um... Are they doing scenes and monologues? Yeah, yeah, they're doing scenes and monologues, and basically I treat them like they're adult class. Um, I'm like, it's a six-week class, and they do a scene every week. They're not allowed to rehearse because nine times out of ten when you shoot something on camera, you're hired for a film or TV show or whatever, you don't get a chance to rehearse. So you get an email from me assigning you the scene with your partner. Um, You you learn your lines on your own, then you show up to, quote-unquote, set, ready to work. So i give them the order of the scenes of the day, and then we'd just shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. You know? Um, sometimes, you know, there's line problems. or whatever. I don't know the line or whatever. But I treat them like, I'm like, you want to be in this business? If you don't know your lines, I'm pissed. Because imagine you're on my set, and I paid you money. You want to, you want to be an actor? Come here knowing your lines. Come to set ready to work. Know it backwards and forwards, because you're wasting my time and the crew's time and money you're wasting my money, and you're wasting the crew's time if you come to set not ready to work. So the first week is always kind of like dicey because they're they're performing in front of each other or whatever, um, and then they you know it's the first time doing it. But by the second week, major leaps. You know. Do any of them have training prior to your club? Yeah, a lot of them do. They come from various performing arts high schools, or they they you know been doing plays and things like that. And I've had. A couple of actors in the class who are on TV now who took the class, and I, I would ask him, I'm like, uh, I'm actually a fan of yours, why are you taking my class? You know, <laughs> I just saw you in Orange is the New Black one day, what are you doing? Like, and he's like, You know, well, uh, I never took an acting class before, I heard yours was good. So I'm like, Oh, okay. So, um, so I'm honored like that in that regard, but you know.
0: And and your adult class is kind of
1: like a, a mixed bag. What's the qualifier? It's a mixed bag, is I quali- find that um, I teach at the Barre Group School and Group at the Barre Group School um, mainly. And um, I think you just have to have some previous experience in acting class of something. You get in there, and it's interesting. It runs the gamut for people who've never, who've taken one class and never really done anything, to people who have got a huge resume and just want to go back to the basics. They just want to play, um, and you have the same philosophy in terms
0: of yeah. The same I kind of gauge
1: and, where yeah, I kind of gauge where people are artistically. I mean, I no, no,
0: I'm them. sorry. In terms of the, the policy, in terms of the work in in the class. Yeah,
1: I pair people up. Usually, I will pair like like level. You know, similar level as far as like acting skills together first, and then I might pair a really experienced actor with a less experienced actor because you might you're going to have that at some point in your life. So um, as we go, and then the six weeks you do four scenes, and then um, the first and then there's a day of monologues, which is the first day introduction, and then there's four weeks of scene work, and then different scenes every week from film and television shows, um, and then the last week is more like a cold read audition day. And then some people have taken the class over and over again. Um, and I'm gonna be teaching a new class in the, in the spring called Filmmaking for Actors because we're so, it's so easy for people to create their own work. Now I'm all about that. So why not? You know, there's so many web series and coming up coming out or being put together and so many It's not stupid, but so many freaking TV shows and TV channels. There's channels I have never heard of. People, uh, every outlet how wants are content, making money. I mean, how, how you can't watch all of these? You know
0: what I mean? Well, I, I think uh, I think the people's Advertising? A, 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 attention span has been yeah. reduced, and as a result of that, we only have a, a few outlets that we go to. Mm-hmm. So everybody's fighting for that for that same attention. So whether it's whether it's Netflix, whether it's your your phone, or whether it's Hulu, you know where everybody's. Th- that's where these audiences are going. So I think people just want to create content for the people because they're going there anyway. Mm-hmm. Which begs the question: You know, uh, people are still making movies and still going the route of distribution, the the traditional way. Of, yeah. You know, you know, we'll go to you know low AMC Lowe's or something. And we'll you know pay our exuberant amount of money to watch a movie lights come up we go home i still like going to see movies in the in the theater but is that is that starting to die away because you know because will. simultaneously you can watch
1: a movie yeah. and then it'll also be on vod well that that i think what's happening now is that you have to make movie going a very uh, uh special experience like you have you, there's a lot of theaters now not a lot but they're they're coming into vogue. um there's one on 86th street where it's like a you have these big comfy chairs so you like in a living room and um the reclining seats it's yes, reserved but it, i know i know you're doing whatever they're, they can to make it a special experience so it's not just like oh i'm going to see fit, spend 15 20 bucks on a movie i'm making it a a, a real night out i'm like luxuriating in the space and then there's, there's
0: you know well the alamo draft house if you're familiar with that model where people like yeah does that like, work
1: in brooklyn I don't know. It's, I thought I heard it was closing down, but I don't, I don't know, know where it opens out there. But
0: I, I don't know where it opened. I know they opened one in New
1: York, but I no, don't. there's one in there's one in Williamsburg um, because I've been to it. Really, a couple of times, yeah. Oh. Well, no, there's it, it, no, it wasn't an album draft house. It was like the similar the night, similar, the night hot.
0: It was yeah. Similar, no, that, yeah. that does well, but they also have a very small space. Yeah. So, but there
1: was an Animal Draft House coming to the Upper West Side. Now, that's what that I. That is mean. smart because it's right near Columbia. Those kids are going to eat that up. Right. But it never came. That was a few years ago.
0: Yeah. It's the the the, the model. Uh, uh, well, uh, expert quote unquote experts have said that the model doesn't work in urban situ- settings. Yeah. Whereas it's like, is like in Texas, like they'll they'll eat spaghetti and have you know watch their movie. But. I don't know. Like I, I think that uh, people get so accustomed to watching movies or TV shows now because that seems to be like the push in terms of artistic storytelling. They want to do it on their time. You know, they want to binge. They want to watch 14 episodes all at once on
1: a. I love that on a snowy yeah. Sunday. I love having or control whatever. of it. Yeah, right.
0: I do. So to go to a movie, you know, if you're in a Say you're in a metropolitan area like New York or Chicago or something, that could be uh, logistically pretty tough if you're a busy person, right? So you'd say you work at nine to five, right? And then most movies start at eight p.m. So you got some time to kill. You go to the movie, you get out at like like maybe ten or ten thirty. You haven't eaten yet, or maybe you ate before the movie, or you got some shit to do. Dude, That's I, like your... But you have to... But
1: my point is, you really have to dedicate your night to watching a movie. You do. I'm a filmmaker, you know? I've shot three... Feature and several short films. I've shot three shorts in the last six months. I'm in post on all of them right now. And I'm a filmmaker, and that's what I do. I mean, I teach for a living, but um, I make films, and I direct theater. Um, but I haven't seen a single film this year <laughs> in the theater. Can you believe that? I, I'm, oh, I'm two thousand 2016? 2016. You're 2016 offered, yeah. And I'm someone I would think it's my duty to go every week to see something. I don't even know what's playing. I've been so busy. I haven't watched Netflix. I haven't watched a film on Netflix. I haven't done anything. The SAG screeners, I probably, you know, um, I'd seen all those movies last year. I saw a lot of movies last year, but... Sag Screeners, um, I have all of those. I've saw seen most of those films, but I didn't. I didn't watch any of them. Um, but I don't know. But will
0: you sit down and watch a, an episode of? Uh, you know, oh X Y Z. You Netflix? kidding?
1: Yeah, every day. I mean, every week. I'm watching. So-
0: I don't know. So is that is that are we? On my live-
1: like TV shows. I, I don't miss those. I, they come up on Hulu or whatever. I'm like, okay, I'm watching. Are, are,
0: are we as storytellers? Are we migrating to to more of the of the longer form? The more serial yeah, form?
1: because these these miniseries or whatever are basically long films. Right. You, you can
0: take your time. You can park it. Right. You can do. And that's you what can the place for you can filmmakers
1: do what a, to go. It's like, ooh, I could just tell this story in how many hours? Right. Oh my god. Well, you, you can, can
0: do what what books could do where you could dedicate a chapter to just character development.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Whereas a movie, it's all about pace. It's all about, you know, connecting dots, putting those, that puzzle together, being economic in the way you tell a story. Whereas if you have, you know, 12 episodes, 14 episodes, I, 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 that's gold. That's, you can just, you can really, I guess it's the difference between like, you know, like a nice bourbon or, schlitz (laughs) you know and just in terms of in terms of being and also you have to factor in you're probably spending maybe the same amount of money if you're shooting well if you're shooting a digital and you have it all mapped out Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I'll I'll ask you this so if you had if I gave you let's say how much money do you want if I gave you $700,000 would you dedicate that to a feature or a series well nowadays you can make two or three features for that money of money. Okay, but the but the, the that, that's your option. I'm giving you right now. To so make two or three features or a series. No, no, no. You can make one movie with that with that budget, or you can make a you know a, a X number episode season.
1: Um, right now, I have the ideas for a movie for several films, so I probably do a film, but. um... If I have an idea for a show, yeah, I'll do the show. I haven't really gotten excited about it yet. About, I have no ideas have come to me right now that I would want to explore the longer form. Except there's one. Um, there's two, actually. i take that back. I'm working on a... I think it's going to be like a web series, which I've never done with some friends of mine. I'm kind of creating it for them. Not really for them. I'm doing it because I want to do it. But then there's like that web series or show I think would be a good long form um, piece that I talked about earlier in our conversation, the kids growing up that I grew up with because there were so many sto- wild stories there you couldn't make up it's like stuff I went through as a kid with those those other kids um, things we did that people don't know about to this day uh, would we'll take to our graves i'm probably gonna like <laughs> <laughs> it could be a hit on me or something when I start doing this show because I think that's the show that's the show I want to do you know? are
0: your uh Okay, so three three shorts in six months, you said?
1: Yeah, in the last six months. Are they connected? No. 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 Not at all. I was asked to write um, for a group of actors, and I did. and like, I was given a space and equipment, and that's how they happened. Um, and then I did it. And I'm very proud of it. It's in, we're, That's the first one we shot in, in, in September. And um, it's we, we actually color correcting this weekend. And then the second one I shot in December of last year, and that's in the very early stages of editing. Um, it's about a domestic terrorists. Um, um, and then the third one was an adaptation of a play that I directed last, a short play that I directed last fall and that the lead actor wanted me to adapt. He got the rights from the playwright, whatever, and asked me to adapt it for the screen. And so we shot that during the blizzard actually that's right dedication, me, yeah. dedication to your craft we shot it during the blizzard we were holed up in this location for we just shot during the whole blizzard so it was a lot of fun I lost half my crew but the people that stayed the, the, um, the, everybody's essential but these essential, real essential, essential essentials like the DP and the actors and the sound guy um, all stayed so I became my own AD and script, <laughs> I was my own AD and script supervisor which I love, because I, I love taking them, you know, juggling so many things at once. It was great. I was in heaven. I was like, now I'm the AD. Now I'm the director. Now I'm the script supervisor, you know? And also the PA. So um, that was a lot of fun. You know, I think the, uh, one of the most
0: rewarding things about <laughs> teaching is that you while you're teaching, you're learning. Oh, and my God. I'm such a better director. So that was going to be my point. So yeah. now, you know, the, you know the time that you've had to to direct, whether it's theater or film, or um, you know, how has the way how has your approach
1: changed? How What have you learned about yourself? Learning, really learning about personalities, and being more confident with what I, I think I was confident before, but it was always in the back of my mind going, oh, I hope that, work, that works, he gets it, or whatever. Uh, when I shot my feature, I mean, that was a big I thought I grew up major, I mean I, I threw, I, I really grew up during, during that feature, having so many speaking roles and, um, uh and just being having to tell that story in such a little little bit of time that we had to uh to shoot it or whatever um teaching for the last 4 years has changed me significantly i've gotten gained a lot of confidence in my communication skills with actors um and i've and determining the personality tra- of various people, you know, I can kind of tell what kind of actor they're going to be, how they're going to be, be able to, how I'm going to work with them within the first few minutes. You know, just ask them a few questions. They don't know that I'm trying to figure them out. I'm just, it's casual questions like, how was your day? Oh, yeah? Depending on how they answer, I can determine exactly what kind of actor that person's going to be. How they're going to be to work with. Absolutely. Not the skill level, but in terms of, how I'm gonna be able to work with him how they answer
0: my questions is it true that the yeah. most difficult act performers are the best
2: um,
1: no I will not say that not in my experience recently no because the most difficult I really recently I've worked with some people who are really insecure and so uh, there's a lot of unnecessary drama that that, that arises with that, and you're like, okay, why are we making an issue of this? Why make an issue of that? And it's because they're insecure about what they're doing. But every artist is insecure, right? I yeah. mean, that's, that's
0: why we delve into this, right? I mean, yeah. especially performers. When you think about, when you take a step back and you look at acting. I mean, I, I mean, we, we can say this because we're we're we, we chose to do it. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous.
1: Yeah, it's you know you you. Well, dude, go back to what I said like an hour ago. I'm like, well, damn, my friends have a nice home and family. <laughs> they get to go away to like they're going to Europe this summer, and I'm here like, uh, maybe I get to go to Chicago, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so exactly, I totally hear you. It's, yeah. I
0: mean, it, it, you're, you pursue but, something that is not real, um, you do it to essentially gain praise, right? Uh, whether it's...
1: It used to be that, but not, it's, um, I, I think as I matured and started to work on myself a bit, I, it's not that. You, you well, want I don't, you I don't to mean, like your work. Right,
0: that's what I meant. I didn't mean praise in the literal sense of like, oh my God, you were amazing. Well, that's yeah. part of it, but I mean in the sense of knowing what you're doing is quality. Right. Nobody does something like, "Hey man, this dog shit." Okay, well, that's exactly I, what I wanted.
1: I realized recently that I there's nothing else I can do. I have to do this in some form or another. The arts. That's what I was put here to do. That's what I. That's the only thing I'm really, really good at. I'm good at organizing things, but I would be a miserable person. But I'm here to tell stories, um, and hopefully, people get something from these stories that I have to share. My I think my mission or my reason for being a reason for creating is to give voice to those who are uh voice to the voiceless you know what I mean to tell the stories of people who don't have a voice or to give um, uh, them a stronger voice in some sense tell these stories that are not really being told um, and that's what I've done mostly so when even things come across my desk um, Offers or whatever to direct something or write something for someone, I have to see what it's evaluated for me as an artist or what I want to say as a human being and how it can help people in some way in some way I don't mean being preachy all the time. you can teach or you can share by over the top comedy you know what I mean um, but it has to say something for me, me personally for me to get involved it has to say something it can't just be like a slice of life kind of thing at last that's the story I'm trying to tell at that moment but I, and for a reason, but it has to mean something It has to move me, and I have to think it's going to be move people in some way that see it. You know? I don't think I could do Ride Along too. I don't think I could <laughs> do I, And I, I no, not knocking them at all. I am appreciative that those things, those right, things a, a exist. A better
0: example Because, because you, you, need to go, you need to go to the theater and laugh. Right, okay. Well, a better example is could you take something highly commercial not necessarily right on, but something that like, whoa, this is not in my wheelhouse, but make it, you know, make it laurels. Like, if they said, hey, here's a blank check, go go do something with Transformers. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah? Okay, maybe yeah. that's not the best. Fast and Fierce, we're, uh, we're re- re- rebooting it with Justin Bieber. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Let's we'll see. How can we weave in the sex trade into that? <laughs> The uh, minor sex trade into Fast and the Furious. How can we do that, you know, <laughs> or something, you know, something crazy, that, you know, that would give sh- shed light on something that people don't know about would, in this big commercial vehicle. Hell yeah, do if they allow me to, yeah, you
0: yeah, know. But anyway, so uh, believe it or not, we're uh, we're almost out of time. Yeah, but uh, um, wanted to ask you this yeah. um, kind of question I ask of uh, of all. Well, the people that sit in that seat over there, if you were to travel back in time to, uh, let's say, Laurel of, 21-year-old Laurel,
1: what would you say to him? That was just three years ago. <laughs> um, just kidding. Um, um, learn to love yourself more. And that uh, seeking the approval of everyone, of the world, of everyone is I mean, learn to love yourself, and then you can love other people, you know? Because um, I think at 21, I was super smart, I was super organized, I was super creative, but I was doing it for the wrong reasons. I got a lot done, you know, um, when I was in college. It's, I think back on those things I did in college, but it was really because I was escaping my own demons um, just as a way not to have to deal with myself. So that I never felt that I was good enough. So... That would be the first thing, number one, and then I think the work I created then would have been a lot more meaningful, you know for me.
0: Oh, you mean if you were to kind of adjust your perception, your work would have been: different. Yeah,
1: I think yeah, I think so. but um, I was writing and directing then, you know, um, but you know, and part of me goes, I needed to go through that you know, to get to where I am now, which I'm very happy with who I am now, you know. Um, So I needed to, that was, that was, that was a lesson I needed to learn. I had to go through those painful years, those painful years in my 20s to, you know, where I'm seeking approval of everybody and, you know, um, and hanging out with not necessarily healthy people, you know, healthy in mind and spirit or whatever. And I think that I needed to go through that in order to appreciate where I am now. You know, because I've been, been like if I've been a young Oprah or something at twenty one, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or young whoever. Um, kind of an asshole? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't think you're an asshole, but when you look back you're Oh, like, I was a jerk. You're like, jeez, man. I was a jerk. Yeah, I was a jerk. I tell people now, I go, God, I was a jerk when I was twenty you know. I was a nice guy, but I was like, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah, like head was maybe like i had an ego, yeah. yeah. But it
1: was always it a lot of it was insecurity right of course I mean
0: yeah. that's I mean that's the the perils
1: of youth yeah so I think you'd have to go through that, I, it would be pretty bad if I was still that way Right. you know several years later um, but I'm not not that person at all um, so that's what I would tell myself um, learn to love yourself and like deal with your demons but but at the same time I'm like maybe I wouldn't tell them anything just yeah just give them a nod. Yeah, and say, okay,
0: it's going to get better. you know what I mean so, I think that's good advice right for yeah. anybody. it'll get better. Yeah. Um, okay, so right now to the, uh, this day, in your life, what is happiness for you?
1: Happiness is um, having a very, very, very strong spiritual life um, and doing what I love. Yeah, um, and having really, really good like minded and um, positive people around me that um, challenge me and inspire me, you know, whether it be friends, family and or students even, you know, or workers um, and being really, really um, forgiving myself for things in the past that were not my fault. You know. Um at all. So that's happiness. Um materialistically, uh, <laughs> I want to go I want to go I want to live in I'm going to spend some time in Europe and Africa and I'll then eventually make my way down to South America, my dad's homeland and then um and travel and like Get a nice apartment and whatever, all that stuff. But I don't. That stuff won't mean anything to me unless those other things that I mentioned are taken care of or, or addressed first. So, right.
0: The 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 head won't be right unless the heart is right. Exactly. Uh, well, I never told you this, but um, well, maybe I did in, in a in a roundabout way. But um, you know, when I before we actually were introduced to each other many moons ago, uh, you know, I saw you in a saw you in a show at the Bear Group. And uh, you know, I'll just say briefly. To this day, it's one of my favorite performances I've ever seen. I remember seen. that you came up to me, and uh, you know, I've you know, like yourself, I've seen a lot of theater, but that that's always struck me. That's always struck me personally. And I remember how I felt when I saw your performance, and it's always it's always stayed with me. So thank you. No matter what happens in our lives, no matter if you revert back to being that 21 year old asshole that performance will always mean something to me so I appreciate you and I uh,
1: appreciate that performance well I appreciate sure you inviting me to share my crazy stories with your audience <laughs>
2: so, uh,
0: hey man thanks for doing this thank you uh, everybody thanks for listening as I always say you're a part of this conversation too you're just on the quiet side so appreciate you Bodhisattva go out and do good in the world
2: But all I've ever learned from love Was how to shoot somebody who walked to you And it's not a cry that you hear at night It's not somebody who's seen the light It's a cold and it's a bright